Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcast out of beautiful Monticello, Maine. You can also hear it on our YouTube channel as well as our Potomatic page, potomatic.com, and just put in Camp Constitution. It is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp, uh, next year's camp, July 18th to the 23rd at the beautiful Singing Hills Christian Camp and Conference Center in Plainfield. For more information on that and our other activities, please visit our website, campconstitution.net. Well, we have a, uh, a guest on the line. Joe, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Well, uh, Joe, uh, my guest is Joe Wolverton, who's been on a few times. One time we were discussing the dangers of an Article 5 convention, and then his book, uh, the, the Real James Madison, I believe was the name of the book, published by the National, Heritage, National Center for Constitutional Studies. But you have a, a new book just out entitled The Founder's Recipe, and it doesn't talk about food, although they probably had some good hearty meals. It's more of a political recipe. But before I do that, uh, tell uh, the millions and millions of listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, Can you hear me now? Perfectly, yes. Oh, good. Okay. Um, So about myself. Well, I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I grew up uh, mostly in Europe, though. My dad uh, was 25 years in the Army. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in political science with an emphasis on the early republic. Uh, I Then I went to law school and I was for six years a constitutional attorney specializing in the Fourth Amendment, uh, suing the government for violating the Fourth Amendment. Uh, and since 2004, I've written for the New American. So I guess that's, what, 16 years? Yeah, July of 2004 was my first article. It was a biography of John Dickinson. Um, And then I started teaching at a university in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, then that turned into teaching history and the Constitution at a charter school in Arizona, which I did for five years. And then I decided I was going to 
put capitalism to the test and offer my teaching, offer my uh, lessons to the free market, and now I teach about 100 homeschool kids. And, uh, yeah, and it's been great. It's a dream come true. I get to teach and not get paid with stolen money, and I get to teach what I want, and that includes mentioning the scriptures when it comes into into history, and it's great. And so that's what I'm doing right now. Well, I do appreciate your all the number of uh, your numerous articles over the years in the New American. Some of them have been, been reprinted, and some of them have yeah. been put in front of elected officials, hopefully to convince them of whatever wherever we're trying to convince them to to support. Usually, the Article <laughs> Five issue, which um, I think is more dangerous now than ever before. But I also think that some of the air is out of the balloon because of the the uh, riots and the mayhem. I don't think even some hardcore Article 5 supporters are probably thinking, do we really want to have a convention at this time in our nation's history? Yeah, I think that's that's wise choice, obviously, um, for a variety of reasons. But, yeah, I'm happy I, you know, was of the opinion at the time that it was the most uh, critical issue facing the country. And like you say, now I'm a... I feel it's a little less critical with everything else going on, but yes, I was pleased to to travel around and actually speak in front of state legislators trying to convince them to vote against uh, supporting Article 5 convention. You know, my, uh, and we'll get onto your book, but been my observation that all the money in the world does not necessarily put uh, promote a bad idea. If it's a bad idea, all the money in the world is not necessarily going to make it make it happen. And uh, my experience in New Hampshire, I live in Boston. We hope to be moving to New Hampshire very soon. But the uh, Article 5 supporters, and some of them are decent people, some of them are, are not so decent, uh, they pumped tons of money, the left and the right. And it seemed the more money they pumped, the more nastier they got, the more name-calling they, they throw at us, the fewer, the less support. The last hearing they held, or they tried to get one passed, I think it was a year ago, it was 17 to 1 in committee against it. And I thought, I think that one person just felt sorry for the, uh, for the lobbyist, you know, didn't want them to go home without any votes, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think, but, I think they end up feeling frustrated when they throw so much money at an issue and it doesn't get traction. They feel frustrated, so then they don't know what to do because, They've already exhausted the money that they thought would buy them everything, so then they just turn to making it, uh, you know, personal. And so, yeah, I think that's born of, of frustration, but that's a good thing. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, your book, The Founder's Recipe, uh, you sent me a PDF version of it. I got a chance to look it over a little bit, 300-plus uh, yeah. pages. It looks like some excellent mm-hmm. reading. And uh, basically, it's a book about the folks that influenced the founders, uh, European, uh, various, uh, mainly European, I believe. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it was, uh, I'm trying to think, did you have, was it John Milton in there? Yes, John Milton was a, a big influence on the founders, yes, sir. I know that, I, 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 absent was uh, John Calvin. I wonder if that was an oversight, or maybe you didn't think John Calvin because uh, I, I got a chance to meet uh, John Eidsmo, who was a great, you know, I think he, uh, you might agree right. that he's a good Christian, he's a Christian uh, attorney, scholar, statesman, mm-hmm. and uh, 
he said that he believed that John Calvin was a founding father, you know, because, because even if all of the persons who gave us the Constitution were not Calvinist, they believed that man was pretty nasty with left to his own devices, and you had to keep him in check. And that Constitution was really a set of what governments can't do, not so much what they can do, but what they can't do. Right. So, well, the, uh, let me ask you, in your opinion, um, who, or, or maybe your research, not so much opinion, who was the most, what scholar or writer influenced the founders the most? Well, and that's the whole point of the book. What I did is, you know, living in an age that we do where I could access all of, or, or all that the known letters and essays and books written by the founding fathers, and I considered founding father anyone that participated in uh, the, either one of the Continental Congresses or the Constitutional Convention or uh, the state ratifying conventions. And so taking all the documents that we can access using the internet and just discovering through, you know, uh, like you say, taking my opinion out of it and just seeing who they reference the most. Now, there are several layers to that research. The first is just pulling out names. But the second is knowing enough to know what nicknames they call people. For example, they rarely called Cicero Cicero. They called him Tully. Uh, they rarely said Machiavelli. They rarely said Machiavelli. They said Machiavelli. Um, and anyway, doing things like that and pulling it out. And so just seeing who they quoted. Now, sometimes that's quoting them positively and sometimes negatively, but trying to find out what, 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 what were the waters from which they drank? You know, how did they develop their concept of individual liberty, their concept of good government? Uh, and the discovering that the person most often quoted was Paul from the Bible. Uh -huh. um, now, the second most quoted person was Montesquieu, the Baron Montesquieu, Charles II, the Baron Montesquieu. So if you're saying just who influenced them the most, I, I don't know that you can put a name on who influenced I, I, I would challenge anyone to say this person influenced them the most. I can say for sure that there's a group of maybe 10 people that, that those 10 people influenced them more than any other. And sometimes the way I explain it is uh, their thinking came as a result of four cities, Rome, Athens, Jerusalem, and London. In other words, they were influenced by ancient Rome. They were influenced by the history of ancient Greece. They were influenced by the Bible. And they were influenced by their own uh, experience as Englishmen. And those are the experiences. I mean, if you're going to name names, of course, some of them are well known. And kind of the point of this book, Hal, was to uh, once again to restore uh, the writings of some of these men that the Founding Fathers talked about all the time and not i bet you couldn't find one person out of a hundred who would even recognize some of these names today what's fascinating is exactly the average politician doesn't even know the constitution and uh, you know i get a chance to meet a lot of people running for office and people in office and they're you know they're always contacting me looking for support or can you hold 
can I come to your event and all that? And I'll, uh, right. I'll say, you're running for state representative. Uh, have you ever seen the Massachusetts state constitution? No, I never have. I says, well, here's a copy of it. You know, it's the oldest constitution in the world. That's uh, 1780. It predates the U.S. Constitution, written primarily by John Adams. You should know a little bit about it. If you're going to represent uh, the state, you know, you're going to take an oath to it. It's just, and these people are conservative-minded people. You know, it's just amazing the amount of ignorance uh, that people have. And forget about the U.S. Constitution. I remember it wasn't too long ago, I was at a minor league baseball game, it was about a year ago, uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia, lady running for Congress, and I asked her a simple question. I said, uh, where do you find the job description of a member of Congress? This woman had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, where do you find out the, the job, the, the duties and the responsibilities? And she said, online? I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, you can find them on all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just astounding. So uh, well, what uh, I, that's why I appreciate it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, one of the, you know, like you were saying, exactly like you were saying in the same vein is um, anyone with a pocket constitution can pull it out and tell you what is in the constitution. The, that takes no great skill, no great learning. I mean, I can pull that out and quote to you and read it to you all day long and Anyone can do that. But the point of my book, this new book, The Founder's Recipe, was to teach people, and mostly for the first time, children and adults too, because for five generations now, we've all been subjected to federally mandated education, and to teach people not what is in the Constitution, but why it is in the Constitution. Why did the Founding Fathers put certain things in the Constitution. And when you, when you read, when you familiarize yourself with the things that they read, suddenly the things that they did become much more understandable, much more uh, defensible. And that makes you a powerful person to know anyone can say, anyone can read the, the Second Amendment to you, but to know where they got the idea, whence they drew uh, their passion for the right to bear arms, that makes you a much more informed and therefore a much more powerful person. What's interesting about St. Paul, if you read his epistles, he talks a lot about government, doesn't he? Uh, appealing he does. to Caesar, he does. But also self-government, which I think is uh, the most important layer because if you pretty much can get yourself under control, you're not going to have much need for other forms of government uh, at knocking at your door. But St. Paul talked about it's, uh, you, if you don't provide for yourself and your, your family, you're worse than an infidel. I don't think he'd be a big supporter of the welfare state. No, not at all. And uh, that is one of the things that um, I talk about there in the section on St. Paul is that He, along with every other one of those men in that book, taught and obviously believed that there is no liberty without virtue. Um, We cannot be free until we govern ourselves. And so, as a matter of fact, today on my Instagram uh, account where I share quotes from these men, uh, the quote that I had was from one of the guys that the Founding Fathers quoted all the time, who nobody talks about today, a a man named Hugo Grotius, and he said that a man cannot govern a nation unless he can govern a city, 
And a man cannot govern a city unless he can govern his family. And a man cannot govern his family unless he can govern himself. And so if we could, you know, with election time coming up, wouldn't it be lovely if we could, uh, those of us who believe in, in, you know, God and believe in the necessity of personal virtue, could take that quote from Grotius and apply it to every every candidate that we're sitting there about to vote for. Is this a man who demonstrates self-control? That's very profound, too, and exactly right. Uh, you're electing someone who's going to say, you know, we have the savior complex. We'll put the right person in the, the governor's house or the governor's mansion or the mayor's office or the executive or, you know, in the White House, and it's going to save the, the world. And uh, you have to look at the, you know, historically, some of the characters, uh, you know, the, that, that parties put up. If they don't have their house in order, you know, darn well, they're not going to be a good, a good leader. Right. I mean, why would we expect a man to be a virtuous president if he hasn't, you know, how, the way I explain it and the way uh, a couple of the guys that are in the book explain it, particularly men, uh, two guys who wrote his partners, John Trench and Thomas Gordon, they have a section on, uh, on political oaths of office in their book, and I put it in the book, and they say, you know, how do we expect a man to be faithful to his oath of office as president if he can't be faithful to his wedding vow? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And I know there's been a string of candidates uh, that have not been to uh, have not upheld their wedding vows. <laughs> Unfortunately, we live in a in a culture where. Well, I don't care about that. The character has nothing to do with it. It's all about issues. So if that person claims to support their pet issue, then they will vote for that person. That's the, that's the tragedy. I think it was James Garfield had a great quote, and I'm not quoting it verbatim, but he had said something to the effect that if people, um, if people want virtuous candidates, if they want virtue and decency and honesty, they will vote for that. If they want meanness and cruelty, then they will basically you get what you vote for. You know, if, if the culture is so twisted that this is the best that they can do, then, uh, you know, you have some problems. You're going to have problems. You know, well, the, and savior, what the Savior himself said it best. And he said, you know, you can't expect to get sweet fruit from a bitter tree, right? That, that's right. That's right. So, uh, so, so tell us some of the other uh, names of uh, influential folks that, uh, folks that influenced the founders. Um, you mentioned uh, Montesquieu. Yeah, let about. me, um, so there's, there's just so many of these men who, when you go, when you set about doing a, a, a systematic reading of everything the founders wrote, uh, these names just come up and all, you know, so many times. And as I wrote in the uh, introduction to my book, the way I came to know this is I was in college and I was the first person on either side of my family to go to college. And as I said, I was studying uh, political science with an emphasis on the early republic. And as I was reading the Federalist Papers, for example, or the anti-Federalist writings, I, I kept seeing these names that I did not recognize. And so I, a professor of mine, Dick Vetterly, uh, a, a real patriot, he told me, well, Joe, why don't you go to the library? This is the days before the internet. Why don't you go to the library 
and look up these guys. And so, you know, here years later, uh, you know, gosh, I was a freshman in 1987. So here's some 33 years later. Um, I've been reading hundreds of thousands of these documents by the founders. These names that are now familiar to me are still unknown. For example, I'll take just one name, uh, Caesar Beccaria. Caesar Beccaria is a guy nobody knows today. He was one of the top 10 influences on the founders. Uh, he's a guy who Thomas Jefferson, when he set about writing the penal code for the state of Kentucky, Jefferson wrote in a letter that he was basing his penal code on the writings of Caesar Beccaria. And that's a name no one knows. Uh, when you look at the name Samuel Pufendorf, Samuel Pufendorf, a name nobody knows today, right? Um, John Trench, like I mentioned earlier, John Trench and Thomas Gordon, nobody knows them today. Uh, the founding fathers called it their dress rehearsal for revolution. Um, we're talking about the most, their letters, Trenchard and Gordon, were the most reprinted letters in the colonies before the revolution. Um, you, have a, you have Algernon Sidney, a guy that Thomas Jefferson said, every boy, by the time he is able to understand uh, writing, should be handed a copy of Sidney's discourses concerning government. Today, nobody knows who he is, and the founding fathers would celebrate his, the day of his martyrdom. They called him a martyr. They called him the hero saint. He was martyred because of his opposition to monarchy. Because of the book, he was martyred. And nobody knows who he is today. And, and in fact, in, when Jefferson and Madison set about writing uh, the, uh, the Constitution of the University of Virginia, when they were writing that together, Algernon Sidney's Discourses Concerning Government was one of the four books that they said you would have to read in order to understand the Constitution of the United States. And today, today if you mention that, nobody knows who he is. Um, gosh, there's so many names. Um, like I said, Hugo Grotius, uh, Emmer DeVottle. My goodness, Hal, if, if anybody who reads Emmer DeVottle will understand immediately what the founders were trying to create with the, what they called the Confederacy of, of States. You instantly understand, and this is a guy, Emmer DeVottle is the man who gave the founding fathers the phrase natural born citizen. Mm. That's where they got that, that's where they got that phrase. But if you mention Emmer DeVottle today, Nobody knows who he is, but you take, you know, a man like Jefferson or Madison, they could quote sections, and John Adams as well. Benjamin Franklin said every congressman in the Continental Congress carried a copy of Bottle's uh, book, The Law of Nations. I mean, but these are things today that nobody knows, and so I just felt compelled that maybe we can have a generation if we take and teach these things to our children, if we have a generation that read the things the Founding Fathers read, we have a chance to have a generation that do the things the Founding Fathers did, namely throw off the chains of tyranny. Mm. Um, 
Now, you teach, you, do you teach a class on this topic currently? I do. Yes, sir, I do. I teach, um, I teach it to homeschool kids, uh, but I also teach, um, I teach, I teach to anybody, any group of people with at least six people. Um, and I'm, I have a website, teacherofliberty.com. And if you go um, go to that website, teacherofliberty.com, and you click on enroll, uh, you'll see that I teach this class via Zoom to any group of people that wants to take the class. Yeah, that's because uh, we're setting up a, um, you know, we have a learning center in Lexington, Massachusetts, uh, the Lane House mm-hmm. Learning Center. Not a large place, but definitely would want to um, you know, look into this. We just had uh, three teachers, one retired, two of them are currently teaching in government schools, and they've just about had it. And I'm saying good for no. you, especially with these new, uh, these new protocols uh, in Massachusetts, it, the 1619 nonsense and the uh, Common Core and the, the, you know how, how terrible the schools are. So uh, this would be yeah. something that we may want to, uh, to to also make available to, and not just young people but adults because uh, adults aren't getting this either. Well, yeah, none of us got it because you know, like most people that will buy the book, I I mean, I technically went to private school, but it was. It was no, the curriculum was no different than my friends who went to public school. I mean, we learned the same, you know, rubbish that they did. And I think it's like um, one of the guys mentioned in the book is a man named Livy, uh, an ancient Roman historian named Livy. And he said that a knowledge of history is the best tonic for a troubled mind. In other mm-hmm. words, if you know history, if you know history, you can, you know, it, it will let you know that there are ways out of a terrible situation. And it will also let you know how a people got into that terrible situation. Uh, one of the other guys in the book, a man named Polybius, he said that anyone who knows how to read history well, and who understands the concept of cause and effect will be able to predict the future of any country. And so my, my goal is that we get this, these, the name, these selections, these writings, these books in front of people. And as they begin to read them, they begin to see that there are patterns and that we don't have to make the same mistakes that our ancestors made. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes the last generation made. And those scales fall from your eyes, and you begin to see. I mean, one of the first things you begin to see as you read these things is why and how our founding fathers came to be men of such great wisdom. I mean, I often am asked when I give speeches and even in class, well, why have we never had another generation? Why did we get one generation of Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Adams, and all these and my answer is simply because we do not learn the things that they learned. We just don't do it. It's like baking a cake and substituting salt for sugar and then asking why it isn't sweet. It may look like cake. It may have the appearance of cake. But you bite into it, you're going to instantly know there's no sugar in it. And so our you know, they, uh, system. 
They no, talk about the greatest generation being the World War II generation. I, I dare mm-hmm. to, uh, I, I disagree strongly. That's my dad's generation, and it was a good generation, except they gave us Roosevelt, you know, the New Deal, which wasn't so good. But it's my opinion that the greatest generation was the founding fathers' generation. Oh, I mean, when you people who tear down the founding fathers and say you're venerating them, you're exaggerating their their wisdom and their virtue, those are people who don't who haven't studied enough because when you I mean, you take the book, The Founder's Recipe, and you start reading the things that they read, it suddenly becomes clear to you that it wasn't a fluke. It was these guys, they did the heavy lifting. I mean, today, I mean, even the fact that the book exists, right, all I had to do was I could go on the Internet and I could read every every one of those things in that book. Now, I'm not going to know what to read without something like this book, but I could do that. But the founding fathers, for example, James Madison, in preparation for the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, he ordered, he wrote a letter to Jefferson and said, you know, send me crates of books. And when you look at the names that he asked for, you see the names that are in this Founders Recipe book. And it seemed, and you suddenly see, oh, now I see what he meant by this, because you are reading the same things he read, and it's mm. not a fluke. These men were the men they were, and had such strong and persuasive and powerful ideas of good government and self-virtue, because these are the wells from which they drank. But fortunately. Now we have an opportunity to drink from those same wells. And I, I genuinely believe that we can have another generation like the Founding Fathers if we can just get these things in front of people again. And I think that uh, obviously the strongest argument against the Founding Fathers was the fact that slavery existed. But it's my opinion that if it wasn't for the Constitution, the Constitution paved the way for the eventual uh, abolition of slavery. It took a little too long, unfortunately, but I think it, was, it wasn't created here, and it paved the way for its ultimate end. Oh, and I mean, yes, that is true. And, you know, that's another thing people quote the, the Constitution saying the three-fifths. Well, what, what they don't, if you go and if you study history, you find out that that was actually an attempt to reduce the influence of slavery. That's that right. was not an attempt. Right. It was not an attempt to say, you know, that the slaves weren't men. It was an attempt to prevent slave owners from exerting undue influence on the government. Joe, we have about a little less than a minute left. Where can oh. the uh, listeners get a copy of the book and to learn more about your work besides the New American Doc? com they can a lot of your articles are archived there but your 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 books Mm -hmm. your book on um james madison and this current book the founders yeah if you you can find them on amazon i would suggest just uh on amazon searching for my name that way they'll all come up uh, joe wolverton and you can go to my website teacheroflibertycom and uh, yeah, you can see the classes that I offer there via you know via Zoom, and you can also read 
and watch my YouTube videos. I have a YouTube channel, Teacher of Liberty. I would go there. I put up videos a few times a week, and that's what I would do. Okay. Thank you so much, Joe, for being a guest. Uh, folks, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God bless you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.